Dear supporters of BLC, if you adore BLC and our free black history and audiobook content, donate via Patreon or get a print copy of the world-famous art pieces, The Morrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book. The Morrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book in the link below. He who will address you today is no stranger. You have known him, perhaps from afar, but for many years. You know that he shares our concern when he moves among men, preaching that you cannot serve God and hate men. You know that he shares our other concerns, theological and hate men. You know that he shares our other concerns theologically and ethically within the family of men serving under God. He is a young man. He has a family, a wife and four children. He is a native of Atlanta, educated there in the public schools and in the colleges of that city. He was ordained into the Baptist ministry and served the church in Montgomery, Alabama. He has continued his education in places of higher learning like Harvard and others on the eastern scene. I think that you already know that he has been honored and recognized by men in all nations and that he has been designated by various groups in this country as the man of the year or the accepted and recognized leader of his people, the most beloved Negro in America, and similar such titles. You may not know that he has been honored with 14 doctorates and that he was the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize about a year ago. It is in response to the mandate of your General Assembly and with great pleasure that the Division of Christian Action is able to bring a man from the front line, from the forefront of this direct action movement to Montreat today for the purpose of dialogue with you, for the purpose of interpretation so that you and I will better understand our involvement and the involvement of the church in this great struggle. And it is in this context that all of us take pride and pleasure in the fact that Dr. King is among us today. Ladies and gentlemen of the conference, Dr. Martin Luther King.
Dr. Calhoun, Mr. Jansen, and my Christian brothers and sisters. I need not pause to say how very delighted and honored I am to be here today and to have the privilege of sharing with you in this very significant conference. And I do want to express my personal appreciation to all of you for your sympathetic understanding and to all of you for inviting me. As you know, I was to be here on Thursday evening, and unfortunately, uh, one of the most violent conflicts of our nation, even in the history of our nation, developed in Los Angeles. And as one who has consistently followed a method and a philosophy of nonviolence, I felt that it was absolutely necessary for me to respond to the invitation that came to me uh, from the Negro leaders of that community to come and offer whatever counsel and advice uh, that I could. And it so happened that I had to be there a little longer than I thought I would. When I went, I thought I could go and stay two days and come back and be here in time for the Thursday night meeting. But after getting there, there was far too much to do to get the job finished in two days. And so I had to stay, but I'm happy that you gave me the privilege to come today, and that through sympathetic understanding, uh, you realize why it was not possible for me to be here Thursday evening. I'm certainly indebted to Mr. Johnson for these very kind and gracious words of introduction. As I listened to him with his wonderful and eloquent words of introduction, I felt something like the old maid who had never been married. And one day she went to work, and the lady for whom she worked said, Anne, I hear you're getting married. She said, No, I'm not getting married, but thank God for the rumor. I know all of these wonderful things that he said about me can't be true, but thank God for the rumor. These are difficult days in which we live, at points we do live in days of emotional tension, when the problems of our nation and the problems of the world are gigantic in extent and chaotic in detail. And as I stand before you, who are so involved in Christian action in the great Southern, Southern Presbyterian Church, I would like to use as a subject from which to speak the church on the frontier of racial tension. There can be no gainsaying of the fact that we find ourselves in a crisis-packed day. 
There can be no gainsaying of the fact that we have a crisis in race relations in our country. Some years ago, a great sociologist at Harvard University, Dr. Sorokin, wrote a book entitled The Crisis of Our Age. The thesis of that book was that a crisis develops in society when an old idea exhausts itself and society seeks to reorientate itself around the new idea. Now this is certainly true in our situation, it is true in our nation at the present time. The old idea of segregation, the old idea of paternalistic relationships between the races has exhausted, exhausted itself, and American society is seeking to reorientate itself around the new idea of integration, the new idea of genuine person-to-person relations. This accounts for the crisis of our age, and this accounts for the crisis in race relations today. Whenever a crisis emerges in society, the church has a specific and a great responsibility. It has a real responsibility in the midst of this crisis because the problems involved are essentially moral issues. The church being the moral guardian of the community cannot overlook its moral responsibility at this hour. Now we must admit that All too often the church has been lax at this point. All too often in the midst of social evil. Too many Christians have somehow stood still only to mild pious irrelevances and sanctimonious trivialities. All too often in the midst of racial injustice, Too many Christians have remained silent behind the safe security of stained glass windows. But when the church is true to its nature, when it is true to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when it is relevant, it is always active in any period of social change, seeking to guide and direct, seeking to bring the eternal verities of the gospel to bear on the particular situation. This is a great challenge facing the church today. This is a great challenge facing every Christian in these days of racial tension. Now let me suggest some of the things that the church must do and some of the things that every individual Christian must do if we are to make the gospel relevant and if we are to be active on this frontier of racial tension. 
Let me say first that the Church must affirm with all of its power the essential immorality of racial segregation. Racial segregation is not only sociologically untenable, Racial segregation is not only politically and economically unsound, but it is morally wrong or sinful. Whether it is segregation in the North or whether it is segregation in the South, whether it is segregation in the schools, in recreational facilities, in public accommodations, in the Christian Church itself, it is morally wrong and sinful. And certainly all of the insights of our Judeo-Christian heritage remind us of this. That is something deep down in that tradition which says to us that segregation is evil because it somehow relegates persons to the status of things. And all of the theological thinkers who have really grappled with this problem in depth have said this. Segregation is evil, to use the thinking of the late Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, because it substitutes an I-it relationship for the I-thou relationship. To use the thinking of St. Thomas Aquinas, segregation is evil because it is based on human laws that are out of harmony with the eternal natural and moral laws of the universe. Somewhere the great Protestant theologian Paul Tillich has said that sin is separation. And what is segregation but an existential affirmation of man's tragic estrangement, his terrible separation, his awful sinfulness? And so when we are true to the nature of the gospel, we come to see the essential immorality of racial segregation. The other thing that we must see at this point is a basic philosophical point, and that is that, that racism is never based on what one may refer to as an empirical assertion. That is, out of an inductive method, you look at Dear supporters of BLC, if you adore BLC and our free black history and audiobook content, donate via Patreon or get a print copy of the world-famous art pieces, The Marrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book. The Marrow of Tradition by Charles Chestnut and Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl by Harriet Jacobs, bound together into just one practical book in the link below.